Well, hi guys. How are y'all this morning? Good. Okay, well, like Carol said, the great news is is that my little sweetheart um, has stayed put so that I could be here today. And like two weeks ago, when we found out that she might be wanting to come earlier than she's supposed to be coming, uh, the teachers, uh, Leisha and Meredith and Sue and I got together and we kind of rearranged our weeks. So I'm sorry that you guys have to hear me twice in three weeks, but um, yay. And of course, when we, when they were rearranging with me, we had no, I had no idea what lessons, um, what it consisted of that I would be teaching on. But as I have poured over this portion of scripture um, the last two weeks, God has made it so abundantly clear that he didn't give me this opportunity today because he necessarily wanted me to teach you, but because he needed to teach me the truths of today. And so isn't it sweet when God just works things together so beautifully and divinely to remind us of who he is and the heart that he had for, has for our lives. And that's what he's done to me in this, this sweet section of scripture. And so I just love last week, was everybody here last week? Awesome. Okay, well, uh, Sue just did a phenomenal job of teaching us in great detail how every single point, part of the tabernacle, pointed to Jesus. There wasn't a single detail that didn't reflect the glory of God and point to his son. But y'all see, I'm not a detail person, really, at all. And so I love big picture stuff. I love beauty that just overwhelms you with a single glance. Details have a tendency of overwhelming me. So like if I was studying this, if I was you guys, I would have been just reading it like, cool, okay, awesome, mercy seats, tabernacles, good, keep going. And so often I have a tendency of not overcomplicating things, but I undercomplicate them. And then I miss the beauty in the details. But I do think it would be impossible to have studied last week's lesson and this week's lesson and not been completely convinced that God cares so much about the details. And so maybe that's all the truth that your heart needs to hear today, that God deeply cares about every itty bitty teeny thing going on in your life and that he designed and created every detail of who you are to point to his son. Because our God, he's not just a big picture God. He is intimately invested in every detail of your life. And you need to hear it. There's nothing too small going on that God doesn't care about. And there is nothing too big that he can't handle. He is a God of detail. And he cares about all the details going on in your life. So as a review, last week... We saw all the little parts of the tabernacle, but the whole purpose of it, it was to create a holy place for God to dwell with his people. Okay? But before he could dwell with them, back at three weeks ago, and the people had to accept a, this proposal from God to enter into this covenant relationship with him, right? Into this holy, holy relationship. And they had to confirm that relationship. And after they did that, that's when God gave them these detailed instructions on what a physical place would require for God to dwell with them. And when you think about that, guys, it's like, man, with the tabernacle and the priestly garments that we look at today, it's like God is a God of perfection. He is a God of holiness. He's a God of high standard. 
but he's a God of relationship. I mean, think at the lengths that God goes to in order to dwell with the people he loves. And so as we dig into Exodus 28 and 29 today, let us first just be reminded that God wants to dwell in each of us. And so um, in Ephesians 2.22, it says, And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God wants to dwell in you. And I loved the question in your Bible study book from the lesson last week. It said, if God's dwelling place is supposed to be exceedingly beautiful and God dwells in you, what does that say about how he views you? Do y'all remember that question? Okay, well, I feel like that question sets us up perfectly for today. As God, again, in great detail, shows how he wants his priests to be clothed in order to worship him. So God is so gracious to show his people how to worship him. Because let's be honest, the Israelites were clueless. When you become a new Christian, you are clueless on how to worship God. And God is gracious to detail it out. And there's this really smart old dude named Warren Wearsby that writes some great stuff. And he wrote that worshiping God is the highest privilege and the greatest responsibility of the Christian life. Worshiping God is the highest privilege and the greatest responsibility of the Christian life. So ladies, today in our teaching time, we're primarily going to hang out in Exodus 28. And I wish we had endless amounts of time so we could go deep in chapter 29 also, because it is so good. And I hope that you dig in your small group time. But just so y'all have the expectation, we are really going to hang out in Exodus 28, because that's just where the Lord led my heart today. So if you have your Bible, open up to Exodus 28. And we'll just start at verse 1, because that's logical. So God commands Moses. He says, Have your brother brought to you among the Israelites, along with his sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priests. Okay, great. So we better start off with what is a priest and why did those guys get to be one? Well, in the Old Testament, a priest is someone appointed by God to serve him and to represent the people before him. And his duty was also to offer various sacrifices as described in the law. Okay, that is what an Old Testament priest was to do. Well, So why were Aaron and his sons given this special privilege to serve God, to represent people, and to offer sacrifices? Well, truthfully, we don't really know why they got chosen to do this. We do know that Aaron is Moses' brother and that he had been the mouthpiece before Pharaoh, if you had hung out with us first semester. That's kind of all we know at this point. But I love that God never mentions anything of their credentials, of their merits, of their abilities, or even their willingness. It had nothing to do with them. They were priests as a symbol of God's great grace. An undeserved, unmerited favor. And don't you all just love throughout scripture how God uses the most ragtag, unqualified people for his glory? I mean, like, I love it. From Genesis to Revelation, God just uses 
our mess for his message. And I'm like, there is hope for me, right? There is hope for each of us to be used for God's glory in really big ways. So if y'all remember the tabernacle from last week, it was broken up into two sections. Okay, there was the holy place and then there was the most holy place. Okay, or some people call it the holy of holies. So you have the holy place and then the holy of holies place. And Aaron and his sons, the priesthood, they could all enter into the holy place of the tabernacle. But only Aaron, the high priest, could enter in to the most holy place once a year. And that was to offer the atonement sacrifice for the sin of the people. So there is a distinct difference between the priesthood and the high priest. And we're going to see so much more of that in the Old Testament priesthood. Okay, but I want you guys to see that every bit of the priesthood in the Old Testament is just a foreshadowing of the great high priest who would offer himself as a sacrifice for all sins once and for all time. And Sue talked about it last week. Y'all, we know that great high priest is Jesus. Every bit of it pointed to him being the great high priest. And so Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So Jesus is the high priest. All right, but so just as the tabernacle last week, all in detail, pointed to Jesus, so would the priesthood. So in Exodus 28, right after God declares who will be his priests, he designates how they will be clothed, which logically, ladies, this makes perfect sense, right? That these imperfect men would have to be clothed in nothing less than sacred garments to enter into God's holy dwelling place. Because if God cared so much about the place he would be worshiped, think about how much more he cares about the people worshiping him. And so in verse 2, and this is, this is important if you're an underliner, you can underline it. In Exodus 22, it says that these garments would give the priests, my translation says dignity and honor. Okay? But other translations say beauty and glory. And that these garments would set them apart from the other Israelites. Okay, so the purpose of these priestly garments, dignity and honor, beauty and glory, and to set them apart. All right. So, ladies, let's just be honest. We know a little something about getting ready. All right, this is, this is our jam. At least this is mine in this part of Scripture. So whether you decided to get fully ready this morning or not is irrelevant. You know how long it takes to look, should you say, your finest, right? Like, it takes hard work to make this happen. Uh, <laughs> okay, but God details out seven items of clothing that the high priest would be required to wear. That's right. Seven. So you can read them up there, but they're the ephod, the waistband or the sash, the breastplate, the blue robe, the plate of pure gold, the turban, and the undergarments. All right, but if you like this sort of thing, if you're a numbers person, then you know that seven is a super significant number in the Bible. Okay, seven is the number of completion. So it's just something cool that I got brought to me was that what we choose to clothe ourselves will complete us. And we're going to talk more about that, but it is by no accident. I feel like that God clothed his priests in seven different pieces of clothing to make these sacred garments. All right. So we're going to dig in on 
the seven items of clothing that the high priest would be required to wear. All right, so the ephod, you guys want to say ephod? So I just have to tell you something funny. As we were practicing this, of course, I mispronounce a lot of words in the Bible. And um, so I was saying like ephod or something. And so Sue and Brenda were like, Rainy, that's incorrect. You have to. So they were training me on how to say ephod, ephod, ephod. And it was not clicking. And they're like, well, here's a rhyme, Randy. Pastor Todd needs an ephod. Pastor Todd. So that's all that I can think of now is like that Pastor Todd needs an ephod. Um, <laughs> okay, but back to this. Um, now that you know what goes on in my brain as I'm preparing to teach and actually teaching, is that an ephod, and you can look at the picture of the priest. They're going to be on multiple slides, so you'll see it again. But the ephod was a simple sleeveless linen garment that reached all the way to the ankles. Okay? The high priest ephod and his sash waistband were made of fine white linen that was beautifully embroidered with blue, purple, and scarlet threads. Okay? So the same beautiful colors that were in the tabernacle are going to be the same colors that are in the priestly garments with the same significance there. So the ephod was two pieces, front and back, held together on each shoulder by a jeweled golden clasp and at the waist by a beautiful golden sash. Well, the initial translation didn't call this a waistband or a sash. It called it a girdle. Okay, but ladies, this pretty little gold thing, that's not the tummy-tucking Spanx kind of girdle that you're thinking. Okay, this was a beautiful waistband on the ephod. So the significant thing about this ephod was not the fabric, or the colors. It was the names of the 12 tribes of Israel that were engraved on each onyx stone on the shoulder class. So there were six here, and there were six here. So whenever the high priest wore his special robes, he carried the people on his shoulders before the Lord. And as our high priest, Jesus literally carries us on his shoulders. I love that visual picture. In Isaiah 9, 6, It says, for to us, a child will be born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. Ladies, that's a weighty responsibility. And right now, I think we all need to hear, I'm so glad the government is on his shoulders and not mine, right? But one of my other favorite stories in the whole Bible is in Luke 15. So if you have your Bible, turn there because it's just just gold. Luke 15. So that's New Testament, kind of towards the end-ish, one of the Gospels. And I'm going to read verses 3 through 7. So Luke 15, verses 3 through 7. It says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and it goes home, and then goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Y'all, think about that picture. It says, when he finds that lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And so just as the high priest, as he went into the Holy of Holies, wore the names 
of the people of the tribes of Israel on his shoulders, so does Jesus carry you. Right? He knows your name, and he carries you on, your, on his shoulders. So we have the ephod, and we have the waistband. And then our third piece is the breastplate. And this one is so cool. You guys can see it. It is going to be that beautifully embroidered fabric hung high on the priest's chest. Okay, and it's supported, because it's going to be heavy, by two golden chains attached to the shoulder straps. And on the breastplate were 12 beautiful jewels arranged in four rows and each stone representing one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So 12 names on the shoulders, 12 stones on his chest. So as the high priest not only carried the people on his shoulders, he carried them over his heart. And I just think what, how symbolic of God's authority and then his love. And so the verse that just kept ringing to me about Christ's perfect love is Jeremiah 31.3. It says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you in with loving kindness. You know that as Jesus went to the cross, he wore each of you on his heart. But I also love in that, not that they were just over his heart, but that each stone on the breastplate was distinct and different. All precious, all treasured, no two the same, just like us, sisters. And right before this, as we were sitting in leader time, Man, one of my, my soul sisters, who's just a creative genius, she was like, oh, yeah, I looked more into this. And actually, all of the colors of the 12 stones, they represent a rainbow. These colors represent a rainbow. And, y'all, they would have known that because what do we know that a rainbow represents? God's faithfulness, that he is faithful to his promises, And so I don't know, maybe as the people were looking at the high priest and these 12 stones that made this radiant rainbow, they were reminded of God's faithfulness and his love for them as he carried them over over his heart. All right, so after the breastplate comes a blue robe, or some translations call it a coat. And this was worn under the ephod, and it was seamless, which is just representative of God's perfection. And it had a hole in the head, for the head to come out that wouldn't tear. But the cool thing about this blue robe is that at the hem, would you read this, it alternated between golden bells and pomegranates. And yeah, we're talking about like the fruit, the pomegranates that you feed your kiddos. Okay, I don't think it was actual fruit, but they sewed it to look like that. And so there has to be significance in the golden bells and the pomegranates. Well, the bells were so that the high priest could be heard as he ministered before the Lord. All right, it would be known to everyone that couldn't enter into that tabernacle with him that he was doing God's work. And I just love it, y'all. Sometimes we may not always get to see God's work being done firsthand, but what a joy it is to hear about it. Man, when we can hear the other bells ringing of people doing God's work, that should bring us immense joy and pleasure. And then the pomegranates, well, they're fruit. And so these are symbolic of fruitfulness. Because ladies, when we enter into the presence of the Lord, there is fruit. And it tastes good. And so I just love that that is what would be at the bottom of the blue robe. Well, then our next piece 
is the plate of pure gold. Which, if you look up here, the plate of pure gold, you can't totally see it, but you see the white turban, we'll get to that. And then you see this gold plate right there around his head. And it was to be engraved with holy to the Lord. And it would be attached to the turban. Well, the whole purpose of the priesthood, let us not forget, was to present themselves and the men and women they represented as holy before the Lord. Set apart for his purposes. That's what to be holy means. So I think that would be great. Like if we all got that engraved on our foreheads, right? Like holy to the Lord. Be holy as I am holy. I mean, that's my type of tattoo. I don't know about you guys, but I think they were spot on on that. Holy to the Lord. Let everybody know. That was their entire purpose in life. It's to be holy to the Lord. And so our sixth item of clothing is the turban, which is just made of fine white linen. It was wrapped around the head of the high priest. Well, the head covering in that culture was a symbol of reverence and respect. And although God wants you to be his bride and his best friend, and in that relationship, he is also our king, and he deserves our reverence and respect. So when we think of the turban, let's think about the reverence and respect we must have when we get to enter into the presence of the Lord. And then the last item, which kind of makes me giggle giggle that God would detail this, is the undergarments. Because I love that God even talks about their underpants, right? Like there's nothing off limits. And that these undergarments should reach all the way from the waist down to the thigh. Okay, so these priests were not going commando, ladies. Like they were taking granny panties to the next level. Uh, (laughs) And God even cared about that. And I love it. Okay, so now all of that is valuable details. And, like, I hope that you walk out of here talking about, like, ephods and breastplates and undergarments. But we have been consistently taught that we don't just read the Bible for information, but for transformation. So what does this all mean to us? Well, first, ladies, because of Jesus, because he is our great high priest, there is now no human priesthood. In the New Testament, every time you read the word priest, it is referring to a believer in Jesus Christ. Y'all, that was radical when I found that out, right? When I started reading the New Testament and I was like, oh, a priest is me, huh? It's not just some ordained position. It's every one of us that have trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus, So my first big point, y'all, why this matters is that you are a priest. So every bit of these garments and their function and the role of the priest applies to you. By the blood of Jesus, we have all been invited into the Holy of Holies every second of every day. And so 1 Peter 2.9 just hits it home. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You, my sweet sisters, are a royal priesthood. You are a priest. And so as a priest, your sacred garments consist of being clothed with Christ, your great high priest. In your Bible study, you already had to look up this verse, but I put it up here because it's just 
so clear and good. But Romans 13, 14 says, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nation, sinful nature. So as a priest, you are to clothe yourself with Christ, right? And earlier when we were discussing today that the high priest would have seven sacred garments and we said that seven in the Bible is the number of completion. I said, what we choose to clothe ourselves with will complete us. Well, who are we supposed to clothe ourselves with? Christ. So who will complete us? Christ. Okay, so every day, are you clothing yourself with Christ? Because that's what he's calling us to. But some of you might be sitting out there and being like, well, what does it look like to be clothed with Christ? I mean, that's a really great, great thing. I'm about it, but what does it look like? And so I'm just going to simplify it for you. And because I'm obviously a wordsmith and your second big point is what you wear matters. What you wear matters physically and what you wear matters spiritually. So y'all back when I was a freshman in college, I went to SMU and I was a baby believer and I was training to be a young life leader. And which means you kind of go through this intense training of what it looks like to really invest in these kids' lives and to tell them about Jesus. So you have to, you have to sign this covenant of holy living. And although I was still really a baby, I was all about being a young life leader because that's how I came to know Jesus. So I'm like, yes, I, I am all in. This is going to be spectacular. And so it was a couple weeks before we were going to be placed at our high schools, which is kind of a big deal. And my young life leader, who is still to this day a spiritual hero to me, her name is Ashley, she calls me up and she's like, sweetie, will you come over to my house? I need to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And I really was thinking, I mean, this is just so prideful, I hate to even admit it. I was like, she's going to say, I'm going to be the best young life leader there has ever been. (laughs) I mean, I was like, I just cannot wait to have this conversation with her. Like, I'll be over there in two minutes, you know. And so I'm just joyfully skipping over to her house. Little did I know what she actually wanted to talk to me about, you know, and I get there and she's like, Rini, this is really not an easy conversation for me to have with you. And I was like, <laughs> what? Um, and she's like, sweetie, we need to talk about how you dress yourself physically. Whoa, that's not even on my radar. You know, she's like, sweetie, I know I know that you love Jesus. I know that that's your heart, but what you are choosing to clothe yourselves with is not reflecting that at all. And you know that your physical appearance, it should be to point, it should be a reflection of your heart. It should be to point this world to Jesus. And right now, Rainy, I'm just being honest, it doesn't. We know the Bible says that God looks at the heart. Oh, thank goodness, right? But it says that man looks at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance. And so it matters what we're wearing. And I mean, she was like, sweetie, I'm just going to put it, put it clearly for you. Modest is hottest. I was like, yeah, okay. I need to term that in my life. Modest is hottest. Good. And she's like, your skirts are too short. Your pants are too tight. You are showing too much cleavage. She's like, your breasts, honey, are only for your husband one day. 
to see. You don't need to give a peep show to everybody else. You know, I know that I'm just being graphic here and I'm just telling you all, but let's just be real, right? We are called to holiness. The standard is high. Okay, we do not need to be showing off all of our curves and all of our treasured possessions to this world. Man, and that, that's humbling, right? She was like, sweetie, you need to throw away all your two-piece bikinis because they show way too much. Save those for your honeymoon when you are on an island with your husband. Right now, though, they are not to be worn at the SMU swimming pool. Oh, right? And she explained, and I know that as grown women, you guys know this, but I feel like we need to hear it over and over again, that men are visual creatures, That's exactly how God designed them to be. But I don't want to be a stumbling block for them, right? I don't want to get in the way of their worship because I'm concerned with how I look. And and women, if we're just being honest, our sin nature is that we are insecure and comparative. And so she was like, Randy, I don't want them to miss your heart because they are distracted by your outward appearance. I don't want them to judge you before they know you. I want them to, I want to present to the world. She's like, you should present to the world that you are holy to the Lord. And that is seen by your outward appearance. And you guys, I mean, that was, I went home that night and I just wept. Partially because I was totally embarrassed, right? Because this is clearly not the best young life leader. But it was... (laughs) But I was also, I was convicted in a way. I didn't even know that God cared about that, that he really cared about that, that he cared about the details of what I was choosing to clothe myself in and that I was a reflection of his glory. And so I'm passionate about it now because God's had to do a work in me about it. And when I was thinking about the tabernacle, I was like, it was by no mistake that the holiest parts of the tabernacle were the most concealed parts, right? So the holiest parts about you ladies, cover them up. Like modest is hottest. Okay, and she shared with me that day, Ashley did Psalm 96.6. It says, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So we are his sanctuary. His standard of holiness for the tabernacle and for the garments of the priests are the same standard that he has for us. The bar has been set high. And I love thinking about how the God of all of the universe, the God who made the universe and all its splendor and all its detail, created his most marvelous work when he created each of us. I mean, he showed off. We are his treasured possession, his daughters. He cares deeply about how we clothe ourselves. Are we conforming to the beauty standards of this world or are we being transformed by the creator? Are you more informed by the word or by the world or by the word? Are you more informed by the world or by the word? First Peter One verses 14 through 16 says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Hear that, my friends. 
we have a call to holiness. You are the only Bible that some people are ever going to read. So I hope that we have holiness written all over us. So it matters what you wear. Clearly God cares what his priests are wearing. And remember in Exodus 28 too, it said the priestly garments were to give them honor and dignity, beauty and glory. Are you clothing yourself in honor and dignity and beauty and glory? And ladies, it's just, it's so funny that I got picked to teach this topic because I don't teach out of personal victory, right? But out of a personal struggle. As an adult, no sin has invaded my life and my heart more consistently than the insecurity in who God made me, particularly in the physical sense. No, I don't struggle anymore with wanting to draw others' eyes to my big tatas or my tight booty. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do want to feel, feel physically beautiful. And y'all, a million people could tell me I was pretty, and I would still only see my flaws in the mirror. Now, God has done a great work in my heart over the past 16 years of walking with him. But you all know, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, that gold is only refined by fire. And ladies, I have had a lot of refining to be done. And so four years ago, every bit of my struggle with caring more about what was on the outside than what is on the inside really came to fruition when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And in that, I mean, first, I had to have both of my breasts removed, which was a defining part of my femininity. It felt like it was being taken away from me. And then when I was going through chemotherapy, I lost all my long blonde hair. Now, to some of y'all, that may not have been that big of a deal, right? You're like, all right, no boobs, cancer, get rid of them, hair, Who wants to mess with it? Let's be bald. But to me, it was a huge deal because God was literally asking me to put my physical identity, what I was choosing to clothe myself with on the altar and give it to him. And that was so hard. And so the next three pictures I'm going to show you are from the night that Matt and I shaved my head. And I had started losing my hair for for quite a few days, and we knew the inevitable was coming. And so I never intended anyone to see these pictures. Honestly, they were strictly for me, so that I would never forget the truths that I knew God was trying so hard to teach me on my altar of sacrifice. And so the first one, you can go there. All right, that was before we did any shaving. And so the verse that I just had to pray out loud was Psalm 139, 14. I praise you, Lord, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I had to start, I had to praise him because I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And the next one. So if you can see, we had shaved off the sides now. And so just, I had this cool like mohawk thing. In Song of Solomon 4, 7, that's the verse I'm holding there. It says, all beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And I had to hear that that day. I have to hear that every single day, that there is no flaw in me. And ladies, you need to hear that there is no flaw in you. God showed off when he created you in all his beauty, in all his splendor. 
And he says, all beautiful, you are my darling. There is no flaw in you. And so the last picture, there I am with my shaved bald head. Psalm 45:11 says, the king is enthralled with your beauty. Honor him for he is your Lord. Y'all with no boobs and no hair, the king was enthralled with my beauty. So whatever it is that you're choosing to clothe yourselves with, know that God is enthralled with your beauty. See, God that night and all the nights to come after that, he was clothing me in a holiness. And he was asking me to join him in a deeper intimacy. He was inviting me into the Holy of Holies and asking me to believe that I was who he says I am. He was asking me to trade my insecurity and my identity for his priestly garments of glory and beauty. He was making a beautiful thing out of me. But it came at a great sacrifice. And I have quickly learned, right, that our physical identity is a direct reflection of our spiritual identity. Do you believe that you are who God says you are? Because how we choose to clothe ourselves physically reflects not just who we are, but whose we are. So my question are, do you dress to impress or do you dress to bless? Do you spend more time in front of the mirror or in front of your maker? Now, if you guys really think about that, that should convict you a lot. Like, did you spend more time with Jesus getting ready this morning, getting your heart ready? Or did you spend more time in front of the mirror? Because one of those is going to inform who you are today. And I hope it moves you to spend more time with your maker. Well, I have the privilege every Monday night of leading a Bible study of the moms of some of my old Young Life girls who are now in college. Okay, so these mamas are, you know, a generation ahead of me. And as we discuss our struggles and our needs that point us to Jesus, they often say that they love getting older because the desire for physical beauty has faded, right? They don't really care as much what other people think about them, right? And maybe that's you. Spectacular. Okay, maybe you don't really care what you put on physically, but do you care how you clothe yourself spiritually? Because God does. So just as we choose what clothes we're going to put on every day, we also get to choose what attitudes we will have that day. And for most of us, this is a lot harder choice. Because we change our attitudes all day long, depending on our circumstances and the people around us. And if you equated that to changing your physical clothes that many times, like you would be exhausted. And so we're going to go through some scripture that just informs us, man, of how to clothe ourselves spiritually. What does it look like to clothe your heart with Christ? Because as much as it matters what we wear physically, golly, it matters so much what we wear spiritually. So 1 Peter 3 Verses three through five says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. 
For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. So do you have a gentle and quiet spirit? I mean, maybe I should ask your husbands or your kids that, right? Um, but does gentleness and quietness, do those define your beauty? Because they should. That's part of clothing ourselves with Christ is a gentle and quiet spirit. So Colossians 3.12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Girlfriends, this is one I think we all need to memorize. Right? We need to write this on our heart, and we need to put it next to our closet door, and we need to recite it as we get dressed. And we need to have our little girls memorize it. Because who cares what clothes we wear if we are not clothing ourselves in the virtues of Christ? We should be clothing ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 read, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Well, like my young life leader told me, modest is hottest, right? We are to dress modestly, but y'all, our beauty comes from our good deeds. And so I tell my sweet McKinley every day, she's five. I'm like, oh, baby, you are so beautiful. But then I said, but sweet, what is the most beautiful part about you? And so we've been training her all these years and now she just knows the answer is my heart. And that's what we need to hear. The most beautiful part about you is your heart. That's beauty. And so y'all, I could go on and on with scripture that talks about this. If this is your struggle at all, which ladies, let's just be honest, clothing ourselves with Christ should be a struggle every day, right? It should be something that we consciously choose to do every day. It's not a decision that we made a month ago or that we made 10 years ago that you would be clothed with Christ. It is a choice you have to make every single morning as you get ready for the day and every single second as your kids drive you crazy, right? Or that your husband makes you impatient or he doesn't feel that, that need in you that's when you need to choose to clothe yourself with Christ. And so you may not give a lick about your clothes, but how are you doing clothing yourself with joy and prayer and compassion and kindness and patience and goodness and love and peace, the fruits of the Spirit? We could go on and on. So God has a wardrobe picked out for you, ladies, and it is spectacular. In Isaiah 61.10, oh, this is so good. It says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Robes of righteousness and garments of salvation are his chosen attire for his priests. Make it more personal for his bride. 
God doesn't just adore you. He adorns you, right? He doesn't just adore you. He adorns you. But we have to choose every day to clothe ourselves with his heart, his attributes, his garments, himself. And so I want to end today with a story that was told to me a few weeks ago about the life of a woman who works for International Justice Mission. And so if you listened in to the IF gathering or the IF conference, you actually saw her speak. Um, But her real name, it can't be shared. So we're just going to call her anew. And I really wish that I could have her share this story with you. I wish I could remember every detail of it because it was so powerful. So she is this beautiful Indian woman, like completely physically gorgeous. And as she shared her story, she was clothed in this beautiful sari, okay, that you could tell was woven together with the best silk threads and colors. She was just radiant. And in front of her, though, hanging, she had this light, plain blue sari, okay, probably just made of cotton, and it had some faded stains on it. Well, she opened up with... As a child, she always wanted to be married. She dreamed of the one day that she would be adorned in a beautiful sari and given to her husband. Her parents celebrated this, and they were equally excited for that day for their daughter. So when she had come to age, as is tradition in Indian culture, she was given away in an arranged marriage by her family to a man that I'm sure they thought was going to be a great husband. However, after they were married... Anu's husband became very physically abusive. And he broke her down in every way possible. And so for years and years, she would cover up her bruises and the signs of her abuse with her sorry. And she pretended like nothing was wrong. Then one day in the middle of her abuse, her husband insisted that she call her dad and her family and describe what was being done to her. And to her, that was total humiliation and embarrassment to have to admit that things were not okay. And then as she tried to run away after that, her husband ripped off her sari and he revealed her nakedness and her bruises in the middle of the town. And she was overwhelmed with shame. Well, soon thereafter, she didn't really go into detail, but she was finally able to run away from her abusive husband And all she had was literally the sari on her back. And for what seemed like a long time, she ran in poverty from one abusive situation to another. It was all she knew. She lived in this constant shame and darkness and despair. But eventually she was reunited with her family and her healing began. And I'm sure that healing was a long process as it is for all of us, right? But she eventually became very educated and she joined International Justice Mission where to this day she has helped free over 10,000 sex traffic slaves in India. And she shared about this one time as they were rescuing slaves out of a terrible situation. One of the women that they had rescued was clearly very wounded on her leg. However, this woman had wrapped her leg in a part of her sari, right? This, this festering wound because she didn't want to reveal it to anyone. But as they were sitting on the back of this truck, you could smell it. Like the wound was, was so obvious. So Anu went over to her and she took part of her own sorry. And she dabbed the pus and cleaned the wound the best that she could. And she wrapped the woman's leg 
and part of her own sorry as they brought her into freedom. Well, that light blue sorry that sat in front of Anu that day was the same sorry that she had wrapped that woman's leg in. So although that sorry still had some faded stains from that day it had been clean, the stench was now gone. And the Lord used what was symbolic of years of Anu's own abuse and pain to bind up the wounded and brokenhearted. To literally bind up the wounded and brokenhearted. And I want you guys, she read, I want you to open up your Bibles to Isaiah 61. You don't want to miss this. Isaiah is almost directly center of your Bible. It's after Psalms and Proverbs. And we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Um, I'll read them. But you should, you should star it or highlight it. Write it on your hearts. Read it again. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for all those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations. And in their riches you will boast Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. See, God takes our torn and tattered, dirty garments, and he makes them into garments of prayer. He trades our shame and our despair for beauty and righteousness. Everlasting joy, he promises. He rebuilds the places that have been long devastated in our lives, and he calls us priests. Anu said that at one moment in her healing, she realized that perhaps God didn't want normal for her life. He wanted extraordinary. For her life. God used every bit of her pain and abuse that she had experienced to set the captives free. But first, He set her free as He removed her garments of shame and He robed her in His righteousness and salvation. He became her story. Although she said, It's okay to wrestle with it being your story, there's a definite sadness in everyone's story. Right, this is not our home. This is not how God created it to be. He'll make it all right one day. We may have a stain still, 
but the stench is gone. God deeply wants to use our brokenness and shame and despair for his glory. He takes our darkest places and our deepest wounds and he replaces them with joy and purpose in life. So regardless of the stains that you think mark your life, you can trust that Jesus washes you. He clothes you in garments of praise and he anoints you to be his priest. I just want you to be honest right now. What garments have you been putting on? Have you been putting on garments of shame or sadness? Maybe for you it's pain or anger. Maybe it's insecurity or entitlement or control. Or have you been allowing God to clothe you in his priestly garments? And as you think about that, guys, we're going to listen to one of my favorite songs. It's called You Make Beautiful Things by Gunger. And you can, just, you can just close your eyes or you can watch the video. It's really simple. But I just want you to hear the truth. It's just going to ring over you because it is so powerful. God, you guys, Jesus, he makes a beautiful thing out of us. And he desperately wants each of us to trade in our garments of brokenness and allow him to clothe us in his beauty and his splendor and his righteousness. Because by the blood of Jesus, you are a priest. You have been invited into the most holy place. So let us enter in, ladies. Let me pray, and you can go to your small groups. Precious Jesus. Mm. Lord, I just want to revel in that truth. God, that you make such beautiful things out of us. Lord, I pray that we would wash our minds and our hearts in that today, God, and that we would choose to clothe ourselves physically and spiritually, Lord, in a manner that brings you glory. God, as your priest, I pray that everything about us would point to you. That is the only Bible that some people read, God, that they would want to know you, Lord, because they know us. So, Lord, help us to be a reflection of who you are. Help us to love so big and so deeply and so genuinely, Lord, that we just reflect your love. So be with us in our small group time. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen.